So after passing that ridiculous fiscal cliff legislation that was so scary and raised taxes on everybody, Congress, well, they're looking for more blood. They want to raise taxes another trillion dollars across the board. Gee, I wonder where that money's going to come from. It's January 7th, 2013. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show. Now the world is getting older. There's a few things to be said. of saying, I told you so, well, you did vote for this. And when I say you, I mean the royal you, America, you voted for it. They told you they were going to raise your taxes, and they're sticking to it. And Republicans are going right along with it. And people wonder, gee, is it such a good idea to raise taxes in the middle of a rough economy? Well, apparently, um, I guess, I guess so. I guess that's their theory. We'll just tax our way out of it. Shouldn't we lower spending first? I mean, haven't we already proven that tax and spend doesn't work and that raising taxes during a bad economy doesn't work? Hasn't history kind of proven that time after time? Oh, my God. It's like I'm stuck in a loop. This is like Groundhog Day. Every single day, it's the exact same thing. Welcome in the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Mike at KMGX.com is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Groff related, you can always uh, check us out at MichaelGroff.com. While you're there, you can check out this or any of our other podcasts. Leave your comments, questions, suggestions, feedback on the show. Also, you can donate to this program. All donations always encouraged. Um, And, of course, you can sign up to get notifications every time a brand new podcast is posted. Yes, donate, feedback, everything else. It's all there at the one and only michaelgraff.com. I'm sitting here right now, and uh, just to give you a time stamp of this program, I am uh, watching the college football national championship game, Notre Dame and Alabama. Not even a competitive game whatsoever. I will be very happy once they finally institute a playoff system in college football. We've been talking about this for a long time. It's finally going to happen, I think, in, what, 2015, something like that. They finally have a four-team college football playoff. Because every other bowl game that we have, every uh, one of these other games, it's, it's all an exhibition. It's ridiculous. The fact is that the only game that really matters is the national championship game. The whole season is basically irrelevant anyway. 
unless you have a good ranking in the computers, unless the computers think that you're a decent enough team, that's the only way that it matters. Can you imagine if the NBA were run like that? Can you imagine? This is what I always talk about with college football. Could you imagine if the NBA, they played their 82-game regular season schedule, and at the end of the year, we had computers that were ranking the, the, the teams and the entire league all along. And then at the end of the season, the computers determine who the best teams are. But let's say that the best teams the computer determines are like the New York Knicks and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Never mind who the actual best teams are, but let's just say they determine, all right, the best team in the East is the New York Knicks and the West is the... It's the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's your NBA Finals. Oh, but we're going to have a bunch of other series that go on. We're going to have a bunch of other postseason series. They just don't mean anything. So, you know, we'll have we'll have uh, Miami play the the Clippers or we'll have um, we will have uh, the, the Bulls. We'll have them uh, play. I don't know the Lakers or something like that. But, you know, they don't really mean anything. The only game that actually means something is the game that's being played for the national championship. I mean, can you imagine how stupid that is? But, of course, it's all about the mighty dollar. I'm glad they're finally going to institute a playoff system. By the way, this is this is really the most horrible game. The other thing they need to do in college football, the, the regular season ended over a month ago. You need – I don't care – Let's let's stop this pretense that we care about kids' final exams and holidays because you don't care about that stuff. Just play the damn game right after the season is over. Play it like December 15th because they hype up the national championship game for a month and it never lives up to the championship. Like maybe one out of every 10 lives up to the hype. And I mean, right now, it's it's 28 nothing Alabama at the time of this recording. I'm sitting here watching this game. And you know what? Look, maybe maybe the unthinkable happens and Notre Dame comes back and, and makes this a game. But right now, just the way that this game has been going, there is no way. I just do not foresee any way that Notre Dame makes this thing competitive. And that's the problem, too. So you have a month to hype this thing up. Oh, speaking of sports, I thought I'd mention this, too, and then we'll get into all the other heavy stuff that we have. The NHL is back. Yes, the Players Association and the NHL finally reached an agreement over the weekend. And the NHL season is due to start January 19th. And I think they're going to play a 48-game schedule. Now, I'm one of the few people in the United States that actually likes hockey. I'm more of a fan of playoff hockey than regular season hockey. Not that I, I dislike regular season, but the playoff playoff hockey is just so intense it is drama-filled. It is excitement jam-packed into uh, into 60 minutes of play, sometimes five hours of play, depending on if you have like one of those six overtime games or something. But it is incredible. I love playoff hockey. And again, I'm one of the only people that does. I know this um, outside of Canada. But at the same time, it's it's great. And uh, I'm glad to see that it's coming back, especially it's good for the economy here in the Phoenix area. The Phoenix Coyotes hopefully can build off some of the momentum they had last year when they finally went to the Western Conference Finals. So um, hockey is back. Now, this is one of those times where the debate had been going on all throughout the fall and into the winter about who was really in the right here because they had a lockout. Now, this is the third work stoppage the NHL has had in the last 17 years. 
And most of the time, you can see both sides of the debate. You can see the player's side of it. You can see the owner's side of it. I mean, most reasonable people, you can kind of look at both sides and be like, yeah, you know, I know some people out there right now are going, these damn players make too much money and these damn owners have too much money and I did it's all too much money. You know, the, the simpletons out there will just say, oh, they all have, it's millionaires fighting against billionaires because that's a real fresh take on it. You know, it's millionaires fighting against billionaires. Who really cares and all that? Look, it's business. It helps the economies. If you say that you don't care about it, then you're saying you don't care about the economy in your local area. Because if you're in a major city in the U.S. or Canada, chances are you have an NHL franchise. And that NHL franchise, whether you like it or not, even though you might be against hockey or you might be against sports or you might be one of these curmudgeons that just hates anything that's not shuffleboard, you know, you have to understand that these things contribute to the economy. So the NHL, even though as unpopular as it is in the U.S., it, it, there's still people that attend the games. It still is a revenue generator. Sure, not as much as the NBA, the NFL, or Major League Baseball, but it is still, uh, it's still big bucks, all right? But my point here is, you know, some people can say, well, I, I can see the player's side or I can see the owner's side. Well, in this case, I, I, I can only see the player's perspective, it's very rare that I would take up the cause of only one side or another, but the NHL owners have got to be some of the stupidest people on the planet. I mean, as a collection, because it is because of their own stupidity and their own greed, quite frankly, that the NHL experienced a lockout in the first place. And I know that players make a lot of money, and I understand if you're listening to this right now, I'm not saying that, gee, uh, I sympathize with a guy that isn't going to get to play hockey who has millions of dollars in the bank. But, you know, um, quite honestly, uh, these these owners, the problem is in the NHL, the owners for a long time kept saying, well, uh, revenues are, are very low and player salaries are getting out of control. We need to do something about player salaries. We need to stop paying players exorbitant contracts we need to rope it in because, quite frankly, the revenue streams just aren't there unless you're in the biggest markets around the league. You know, everybody in the NHL cries poverty. And to some extent, to some extent, there is a little bit of validity to it because, again, they don't have the big TV contracts that baseball or basketball or football have. They just don't have those. I mean, they're on the, what, the Outdoor Life Network or the... I don't know, the the RFD or they're on one of these friggin' channel 7,273 and nobody even can find a game. It's almost impossible ever since they lost ESPN. And I know that they have a couple of games that get shown on NBC from time to time. But generally speaking, they're relegated to a far corner of the uh, of the dial. So uh, I I... I know that revenue streams are down a little bit, but then the same owners that complain about and they cry poverty and they say, oh, we, we have to rope in these contracts. Then these same owners will go out and they'll, sh they'll shove a whole bunch of money at a specific player. Then they'll turn around and cry poverty after just paying out a huge contract to somebody because, of course, they'll all say to each other, oh, yeah, man, we... We're going to cut down on these contracts. We're going to rope this all in. And then secretly they'll go they'll they'll go up to a player and they'll be um you want to come play for us? We'll give you 5 years, 50 million bucks. You know. 
and uh, we can afford it because we're the New York Rangers or we're the we're the L.A. Kings. So we got the money. It's the biggest hypocrisy. That's I mean that's just part of the problem in the NHL. I mean the, the problems are actually a lot bigger than just that, but that's one thing. So the owners really are uh, largely to blame for this. Like ninety nine percent, they do have a brand new agreement, and the season will be starting. It'll be a, a jam packed season. There'll be a lot of games on a lot of nights because it's a forty eight game schedule, and they're going to still you know condense it down like. I think the playoffs are still going to start when they normally do, so that would be April. So they're going to be playing, um, you know, every other night. Your team in your local area will be playing pretty much. And I think um, there's going to be a lot of logistical nightmares to it. They still have to get a lot of the buildings uh, set up, and they have to, uh, all the venues, see if, uh, because some of these venues have uh, decided to book other events on those dates because they figure the season was going to be canceled. And those venues still had to generate revenue somehow. So now they're scrambling to try and figure out, well, when are we going to fit these hockey games in? Where are we going to play them? So they're they're throwing together a schedule. And uh, we'll keep you updated on all that. But uh, it is good news. The NHL is coming back. And um, I'm glad. Finally, some hockey. Finally, uh, we don't have to talk about the stupid lockout anymore either. That's the better part about the whole deal. <laughs> all right. Meanwhile... One thing I wish we didn't have to talk about anymore is this ridiculousness of tax increases. But after the big botched fiscal cliff legislation for the new year, remember, uh, just passed and tax increases occurred all across the board. Payroll taxes went up 2%. Now you can say, well, that really wasn't a tax increase. That was simply an old tax cut expiring. But to me, if a tax cut expires, that means a tax went up. And not only that, but uh, we also raised taxes on people making more than $400,000 a year. So there was a, a tax rate that went into effect. It really, tax rate increases affected everybody in that recent bill that just passed. All right. But now Democrats are saying that's not enough. We need more revenue increases. We need more taxation. So they propose about a trillion dollars more in revenue via tax increases. Yes, a trillion dollars in tax increases uh, over the next several years. So where is all that money going to come from? Well, of course, we're going to tax people that make eh, 250 to $500,000 a year and up. We're going to tax them more. So if you're a millionaire out there or if you're somebody, even if you're a small business owner making $250,000 a year, your taxes, that which already went up, are going to go up further. Not to mention, you're going to have to pay more for Obamacare as well. You're going to get hit like tri triple here. You already got it on January 1st. You're going to get it again when this next round of tax increases goes into effect. And because of Obamacare, when it fully takes effect, which is next year, you're also going to get hit by that because you're going to have to pay out or you're forced to pay a penalty. One way or the other, you are being... Um, you're going to have to pay a, a fair amount. Unless, of course, you already have a private insurance plan. A private insurance plan that meets an expected standard, whatever. So business owners, small business owners, you're getting hit three times, threefold here. Nevertheless, uh, I did warn you about this. 
It's not like this was unexpected. You know that this was going to happen. Democrats notoriously raised taxes or at least tried to raise taxes. The only difference is now Republicans apparently are complicit. They're going right along with it. Trust me, folks. All right. Trust me on this. I am not a Kool-Aid drinker for the Republicans. They have done a great disservice to this country as well. I'm just, it's just amazing that people voted for this crap. I, I still, I can't believe it. I can't even fathom this. People get so upset when their taxes go up and then they wonder why, why are my taxes going up? Because you voted for this, you dumbass. This is the kind of stuff you voted for. So uh, Mitch McConnell says that they will not go along with any tax increases. They, uh, House or Senate Republicans would uh, certainly go along with um, reducing deductions and closing loopholes in existing tax code. But he says, we're not going to vote for any tax increases. We'll see about that. We'll see how, how long your convictions stand up, just like they did on the fiscal cliff bill. House Republicans say the same thing. They're going to stand firm and stand together and fight against tax increases. But I have a feeling that they will get pushed through. Obviously, if they get through the House, they'll get through the Senate, and then the president will sign off on them. So get ready because your taxes are going up. Meanwhile, the president has announced that the Secretary of Defense position is being filled by Republican Senator Chuck Hagel. Yes, the president is actually nominating a Republican. He's trying to have a bipartisan cabinet. Uh, we'll get to this nomination in just a second. And uh, the new director of the CIA, Obama, is appointing John Brennan. This comes on the heels of uh, Obama's nomination of John Kerry as Secretary of State. Now, all of these nominations have a lot of controversy surrounding them. Chuck Hagel, probably the most controversial. And not just by Republicans, but Democrats as well are very skeptical about this pick. And I don't know if Chuck Hagel is going to pass through. I don't know if he's going to get approved. Hagel has come under a lot of scrutiny from both parties uh, because of his numerous floundering positions on the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. See, when he was a senator, um, he actually voted for the Iraq and Afghanistan war. He, of course, has since denounced it. But then he certainly he's he's taken multiple positions at multiple times about the wars. Now, there's a lot of people that certainly voted for the war and were certainly led to believe a lot of the intelligence that was presented by Colin Powell and President Bush and Dick Cheney and all these other people. And a, a lot of that evidence certainly was proven to either be less than true or just a complete fabrication. Nevertheless, to say that you were for it, then against it, then you were kind of okay with it, then you were kind of against it, you like you bounced all over the place about it, uh, that certainly makes you not necessarily the greatest candidate for the Secretary of Defense position. Not to mention his positions on Israel and the fact that this guy apparently has a problem with the, quote, Jewish lobby. And he says that the, quote, Jewish lobby intimidates members of Congress and that he has openly distanced himself from Israel, reportedly asserting that he's not an Israeli senator. Now, in December, Representative Elliot Engel, a Democrat from New York, said of Chuck Hagel, quote, it seems there is some kind of endemic 
hostility toward Israel. That seems pretty obvious. Uh, a lot of his comments do seem anti-Israeli, uh, the Zionist regime. Hegel's nomination will likely overshadow Brennan's, but Brennan himself also has some controversy. He's also come under fire because of his foreign policy and national security positions that he's taken in the past. Brennan once referred to Jerusalem as Al-Quds, which I guess is the Arab name for the city, and announced that uh, the government would uh, not use the term Islamists or jihadists. And then another really bizarre thing about this John Brennan, again, this is the guy that Obama wants as director of the CIA. The most bizarre thing about this guy is, after it was reported that 20% of detainees released from Guantanamo Bay returned to terrorist activities, Brennan said that that rate was, quote, eh, not that bad. <laughs> wow. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina said that uh, Brennan's comment was, quote, just absolutely disconnected from the world in which we live. Brennan's defense of that was, hey, I'm referring to the comparison between that and repeat offenders here in the United States. There's a big difference between a guy that steals a candy bar or a guy that, you know, commits larceny, goes to jail for, for 30 days or 90 days or whatever, and then gets out and does it again versus a guy that tries to blow up the World Trade Center, is thrown in Guantanamo Bay and then released and then kills more of our soldiers. There's a big difference between the two there. John, quality people that uh, the president is putting up there. Now, again, he is trying to have a bipartisan cabinet, and a lot of people are saying, hey, he should deserve some credit for that, except Chuck Hagel is probably not the best guy, and Republicans don't really like the guy that much. Democrats certainly don't like him that much. Democrats are wondering, what the hell is going on with President Obama? What, what's going on with this guy? Why is he appointing a Republican to... Another Republican. We already had Robert Gates in there. We had Robert Gates, then we had Leon Panetta, and now we have, uh, now Leon Panetta was not a Republican, but, you know, and now we have this Chuck Hagel. What's going on with the president? You know, so people are starting to question the the validity of some of these choices, and, and I certainly am as well. These seem like very bizarre candidates. And John Kerry is Secretary of State, the guy that voted for the $87 billion before he voted against it. Mr. Personality. Really, that's who we're going to send out there. That's that's who's taking over Hillary Clinton's job. See, you may or may not like Hillary Clinton, all right? But at least she has a personality. I mean, you might not like her personality, but she has one. John Kerry, I can just see him going before these foreign dignitaries and putting them to sleep. Ugh, this guy is just insufferable. And of course, he's wishy-washy. Again, the $87 billion, the I voted for it before I voted against it, you know, ugh retreads and just bad, bad choices on the part of the president. I, it really makes you wonder. I question the decision. And again, I know you're probably going to think, well, of course, Mike, you'd question it no matter who it is. Well, clearly, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or Democrat. A bad candidate is a bad candidate. And that's what we have here. Uh, well, we'll see if they pass through uh, the scrutiny. We'll see if they pass through... Um, Congress to get appointed. I don't think so. I do not think that they will. Especially, maybe John Brennan, but certainly not Chuck Hagel. He has very little chance. His party doesn't even like him.
And they're going to be asking him a lot of tough questions. And frankly, he's not going to have the answer to them. John Brennan's going to be the same way. They're going to ask him about that Christmas Day bombing plot. Remember that where, where Janet Napolitano tried to tell us that nothing happened? Remember that at Christmas Day of, what, 2009? That whole mess, that fiasco? Uh, it really wasn't. It was just a minor thing that didn't even happen. And then they had to admit that it did happen. And then she tried to tell us that the media was blowing it out of purpose. Remember that whole thing? Ugh. He was part of that, you know. These are the people that we're putting into uh, positions of power. But this is what you voted for, America. Remember, you get what you vote for. All right, I got to take a break. When we come back, I, I have to get you this story. You know, I teased this on the last show, and I know I'm really bad about this sometimes. I'll tease a story, and I swear, I have it all here. I have all these notes, and then I just don't get to it for whatever reason. I get distracted by other stuff. I don't know, I get ADD on this show, which probably is not the best thing for a talk show host anyway. But it does happen. I get to talking about something. I tease something that is coming up later on in the program. I have a whole outline for the show. I have everything all sort of mapped out. I'm very organized when it comes to mapping out how I want to do the show. And I have a bunch of ideas in my head as, as exactly what it is I want to do and, and how I kind of want to lay it out. And then when it comes to the execution, eh, not so much. It all kind of goes into the crapper. Uh, oh, well. We'll take a break. I have to get you this story, though. I did tease it the other day. A kid getting suspended from school for um, what every single one of us has done at one point in school, just playing around, and a kid gets suspended. This is what the country is coming to because of our, um, our fears. We'll talk about that. And I have a lot. The Michael Groff Show Stupid News File. I have a uh, paparazzi guy. Paparazzi guy was out taking pictures of the president. Ooh, you don't want to do that. Don't take a picture of the president and especially his family while they're on vacation. Uh, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble, apparently. That'll get you a visit from the Secret Service. Not making this up. An unbelievable story. That's coming up and a whole lot more. It's the zip code famous Michael Grav Show. What the devil is that ghastly noise? The Michael Grav Show. Follow the light of truth 
KMGX.com, our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else related to this program, you can always check out MichaelGroff.com. You can even make your donations to our program there, your generous contributions at the one and only MichaelGroff.com. Do not take a picture of the President of the United States. This is just a public service announcement for all of you paparazzi out there and you people that like to take photos. Of celebrities. Uh, one celebrity you should leave out of the equation is Barack Obama and his family. Do not do it because uh, this happened while Barack Obama was on his taxpayer funded vacation over the Christmas holiday. Apparently, one of these paparazzi dudes is it paparazzi? Like when you're referring to them singularly, is it paparazzi or paparazzo? Because I've seen it both ways. Well, who knows? Anyway, um, one of these, uh, one of these semi-stalker dudes, one of these semi-celebrity stalker photo photographer type people, uh, was out there um, on a beach taking pictures of the president and his family on their taxpayer-funded vacation. And uh, he especially took pictures of Obama's children, Malia and Sasha. And uh, shortly thereafter, some Secret Service guys came over to this photographer who is not named and told him, uh, they first of all, they asked him for his identification they asked him some questions about why he was taking pictures, what was he taking pictures of, what was he planning to do with the pictures, you know, all this kind of stuff that the Secret Service asks you. They did not seize his camera equipment. However, if you think this story ends there, it does not. A couple of days later, he wanted to take these photos and send them out to the wire services, and uh, he received letters. He received a official letterhead from the White House from the president requesting that he not post these photos of he or his family, his children especially, um, because, well, he didn't really give a reason, but they just said, do not uh, post those pictures. Now, there was no, not necessarily a threat of legal action, but it was a cease and desist order not to send out these photos. Pretty ballsy for the president, I must say. Um, a, a guy that uses his wife and children in his campaign ads a person that trots them out there frequently and who is a celebrity, let's not forget. I mean, the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, so to speak, is a celebrity as well. He makes these appearances on David Letterman and Jay Leno and all these other shows. He's our acting celebrity in chief. And yet he is going to have the gall to tell you, don't you dare put out pictures of my kids. Now, look, I, I do understand children to me are off limits when it comes to parody and ridicule. Remember when Rush Limbaugh used to regularly make fun of Chelsea Clinton and he would sit there and say all those things about her appearance and what she looks like and all this. Meanwhile, Chelsea Clinton grew up to be an attractive woman and, uh, you know, and Rush Limbaugh really ate a lot of crow on that. But never, never mind that. The fact that he would make fun of a, of a child, no matter what she looks like, is just is very despicable. It's a low blow and it has nothing to do with politics. And it really made him look like the giant ass that he is. Nevertheless, while I think that children are off limits when it comes to ridicule and satire, at least until they become adults, 
that does not mean that they're not that you can't take pictures of them, especially when they're out in public. Now, you can say because uh, this was a 7000 square foot private estate in Hawaii and the beach is a private beach. However, it's visible from the water. It's visible from other neighboring public beaches. So for the Obamas to have any sort of problem with this whatsoever is just downright hypocrisy. Not to mention, of course, we do have freedom of the press. And, and I understand, if I was the president, maybe I would say to this guy, if I really had a problem with it, maybe I'd say to him privately, I'd say to him, listen, man, do you really have to take so many pictures? Do you really have to publish pictures of my kids? You know, I would really like that you don't. I understand it's your job and you get paid to do this, but, you know, could you just lay off on it? You know, we're just trying to have a vacation here. If he said it like that, I guarantee you most of these paparazzi guys would be reasonable and say, you know what, Mr. President, all right. That's cool. Could I at least get a photo of you? Maybe you could sign a picture or maybe, you know, some kind of exclusive photo. Maybe you could pick your nose for me so I could, you know, get $100,000 for that photo. Whatever. You know, I, I could understand most of these guys would be reasonable. Now, some of them are not reasonable. Some of these paparazzi guys are, are they're stalkers. They really are. They follow around celebrities. They take pictures of them all the time. They wait for them to do something that's even remotely interesting. And then they, they bring that to these magazines or they bring it someplace or they post it and they, they get a lot of money for these pictures. So I understand it. But for the president to be upset about this, he, I didn't hear the president object to all those pictures of Kate Middleton that were floating around all over the Internet. Kate Middleton is royalty. She's part of the royal family over there, the British royal family. Of course, uh, I guess royalty does have its privileges. The UK, the, those pictures were all over the tabloids. You didn't hear President Obama object to that. You don't hear President Obama come out and object to all these other celebrity photos that are in these magazines. I bet he's even read some of those magazines. I bet he has a copy of the Inquirer or the Globe or the Daily Mail from England or whatever. I bet he's got some of those things. He's probably heard about it. He probably sees it on Twitter and he's probably cool with it. But when it happens to him, oh no, you can't do that to me. I'm the president. I just think the the outrage, the fact that you would send this guy letters, uh, you would send him a, a White House letterhead and you would give him a cease and desist, especially when you're on a taxpayer funded vacation that cost us a couple of million bucks at least to have all the security detail to have a 7000 square foot palace in Hawaii. And I don't I don't begrudge the guy a vacation. I, I certainly don't. These people that criticize Obama for taking a vacation. Those are probably the same people that just completely turned a blind eye when Bush would go away to his ranch for a month. So it's not the vacation I have a problem with. Although if you're going to be on a taxpayer funded vacation, I don't really have, a, I especially don't have a problem with people taking pictures of you. We're paying for it. This, this is a vacation that the American taxpayers are footing the bill for. So in any event, this poor paparazzi guy, I can't believe I'm sticking up for a paparazzi, but that's just how it is. You got to call it as you see it. Uh, this is uh, this is bizarre. So Alex Jones, I don't know how many of you know who Alex Jones is. He is a radio talk show host. He's one of these dudes that hosts a uh, one of these conspiracy kind of shows. He's heard in lots of different markets. He identifies himself as a libertarian, I think, sort of. But he is completely off the wall. He's this guy. He um he runs that Infowars.com website. He has a radio show that's syndicated in quite a few markets. He's like a far more conspiratorial extremist show than like Coast to Coast AM. Like Coast to Coast AM is kind of like a goof, 
But that uh, his show, he he thinks that everything that goes on is a conspiracy. He thinks 9-11 was an inside job uh, done by the federal government. He doesn't tell you exactly who, but he does say that it was uh, an inside job. He tells you all the time that uh, the New World Order is coming. And, you know, I'm sure that one or two of these conspiracy theories that he throws out in his show probably have validity to them. Uh, because there is, there's no doubt that the government does lie and there's no doubt that the government covers things up, not just this government, but other governments as well around the world. And I, I get that, but he is way, way out there. So I just, I want to give you that as the, as the subtext for the following story. Apparently Alex Jones, while he was on his way to do Piers Morgan show, I, I think he's doing that tonight or maybe this was over the weekend. I don't know, but it hasn't aired yet. I don't think or maybe it's airing right now. I don't know. While he was on his way to do the Piers Morgan show, he, he lives in Austin, Texas. He was at the airport, and the TSA stop him. This is at Austin Bergstrom Airport. And the TSA then threatened to arrest him because Alex Jones wouldn't take his shoes off. Now, everybody knows that if you travel, taking your shoes off, I, I think they've changed the restriction now. I don't think you have to take your shoes off anymore unless they specifically request that you do so. I think they've stopped that whole thing. Although, who knows? The rules change every other day with the TSA. And if you think I'm making that up, they really do. The rules are constantly changing. Anybody that travels knows this. Sometimes you can walk through with your shoes on. Sometimes they say, sir, sir, take your shoes off. And then you get almost gang tackled to take to have your shoes taken off. Well, and then for a while it was like uh, only the elderly and, and children under 12 don't have to take their shoes off. And then it was, all right, nobody has to. Anyway, so, so the rules are always changing. So they tell Alex Jones, take your shoes off. He refuses. Now, the following story, this is from his own website. Okay, this is from Infowars.com. So you have to also understand that now the rest of what I'm going to tell you or read to you is from his website, no doubt written by somebody, uh, one of his staff. Traveling to New York to appear on CNN's Piers Morgan tonight, Jones had already showed his ID as he approached the metal detector. Jones and colleague Rob Dew noticed that a large number of people across all age ranges were not removing their shoes as they walked through the metal detector. The x-ray body scanners were not currently in use. As soon as he approached security, Jones was addressed by a TSA screener who said, quote, Hello, Mr. Jones, indicating that he knew who he was and immediately ordered him to remove his shoes. When Jones refused, citing the fact that innumerable other people had not removed their shoes, the TSA screener claimed that only under 12s and over 75s were not mandated to remove their footwear under TSA policy. When Jones contested the point, arguing that he observed numerous people in their 40s that had not removed their shoes, other TSA agents ordered him to take off his shoes. Before Jones was approached uh, by a police officer who immediately got in his face and started threatening him with arrest. Once again, I remind you, this is an account that is written directly on Alex Jones' website. So how accurate this is, I don't know. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it is. But I just, again, you need to have that context. Despite Jones' protest that he was clearly being discriminated against because he was a known critic of the TSA, the rest of the TSA screeners also knew him by name. The official growled, quote, take your damn shoes off or I'm going to arrest you. Not even giving Jones the option to leave the airport, 
The crew continued with threats of arrest Jones uh, and, and prevented Jones from flying as the radio host threatened to file a lawsuit for his rights violations. Alex Jones is crazy. I could probably see him actually doing that. Take your shoes off. And then Alex Jones, he has this gruff. He has this like, he's only a couple years older than I am, allegedly. And his voice is really like uh, very raspy and growly. And, you know, he's been screaming for years, obviously. And he has a little bit of that uh, Southern accent. So he's like, I'm going to threaten. I'm going to sue all, all of you because you're, you're making me take off my shoes. The Illuminati, the New World Order is telling me I've got to take my shoes off. These TSA, uh, they're out there. You know what they're doing. This is this is harassment on a global level. We are having our rights stripped from us every single day. You, you varmints. One of Jones' primary concerns regarding the removal of his shoes is the fact that he has caught athlete's foot from that very process in another airport years previously, meaning that he now carries a spare pair of socks to change into when he boards an aircraft. Are you for real with this? Come on. I... I, I got a athlete's foot at an airport when I had to take my shoes off once because people have very dirty feet and the fungus goes through your socks and uh, you get athlete's foot. Uh, grow up, dude. Listen, I don't like it either. And I've done many rants on this show about TSA and how, how pointless it is and how needless all that security is. And it's, it's needless security theater. But really, these are the rules that are in place. Either follow them or don't fly. You know, you can go on your on your show and you can rally against the TSA just like I do. And but when you get to the airport, don't be a disrespectful douche. You know, half of those people that are in the TSA, they don't want to do that. They don't want to put people through that. They don't want to harass people. They're just like you and I. Now, half of them are on a power trip and they love doing it. But most I would actually say most of them don't want to. Most of them just want to do their jobs. They just want to collect their measly ten dollars an hour or whatever the hell they're paid. And go the hell home. And they don't want to have to deal with people like you or anybody. They just want to stand there and they just want to, you know, look like they're they're making a contribution. Anyway, it goes on here. Jones emphasized that he was not a clean freak. Oh, sure. But that he never encounters such issues before having to take uh, his shoes off at TSA security. Eventually agreeing to remove his shoes... Jones then walked towards the metal detector as the cop leaned over to talk to one of the TSA agents. After Jones had already passed through the metal detector, a beep was sounded and TSA agents began laughing. Jones later said that it was obvious that TSA screeners had set the metal detector off themselves deliberately, possibly by order of the officer so that they could harass Jones further. Other travelers have reported that TSA agents routinely set off the metal detector themselves in order to manufacture a justification for further harassment. They don't need a justification. You know that they can just pull you aside and say, uh, you're going to get extra screening, sir. They do that. It's happened to me. It happens to me every time I go to the Minneapolis airport. I am the one guy that gets the extra screening. They go through my stuff. They go through my electronics. Because I carry electronics, I'm also subject to this a lot too. Last time I traveled, this happened to me. I had all of my stuff. I, I, was, I, I was borderline detained. They 
had me standing there for like 45 minutes. I had to power up my laptop. I had to power up my my camera. I had to show them every single electronic device. They asked me questions about what each one of them does. And, and I wanted to be snarky and tell them, well, this is the one that uh, blows up the planet Venus. Uh, this is the one that will open a black hole. And this is the one that kills all human life. But of course I wouldn't because I'm not quite that stupid or insane. Very close. I'm very close, but I'm not quite that. I'm not as insane as Alex Jones. If they ask me to take off my shoes, I might grouse about it a little bit, but I do it. I have a right. I have a constitutional right not to take my shoes off at the airport. The officer continued to detain Jones as he talked to other cops. Despite the officer seemingly wanting to take further action, TSA management, presumably aware of the potential scandal that could ensue, said that they were happy to let Jones go on his way. Jones is now considering a civil rights lawsuit against the TSA for discrimination. You know what? Good luck. Other people have tried it. Very few people win. You're going to sue the TSA. You realize because you're, you're suing the federal government when you do that. You're not allowed to sue the federal government unless the federal government says you're allowed to. As we have previously documented, journalists who are critical of the TSA are routinely targeted for harassment. I'm not even saying that everything that's written in here is BS, but at the end of the day, the solution is very simple. Just take your damn shoes off. You have a problem, you can certainly voice it on your radio show. You have a grievance, there are certainly many channels you can go through to air said grievance. At the airport, see, you know what the problem is too? I, I know that I would be the guy that's standing right behind you and now I have to stand there and wait or, or somebody's going to put have me stand aside or I have to now wait for my screening because they're all getting involved with you. Your personal life and your personal problem and grievances are now getting in the way of my air travel. And you're going to cause a scene in the airport and they're going to probably shut down the terminal because that's the ridiculousness of the TSA. They'll probably shut down the damn terminal because you won't take your shoes off. That would be my luck, is I would get behind Mr. Advocate there. And I understand it. I hate the TSA and all the unnecessary screening that we go through. I've talked about it before. I even use the Chris Rock line all the time that airport security is there to make white people feel safer. So I understand it. And I, I even agree with you, at least on principle. But when I'm at the airport, I don't sit there and use that as my forum to air my grievances in front of the TSA. As I just said a minute ago, these are people, they're just like you and me, most of them. And they really don't want to have to deal with this. Do you think they want to sit there and have to file paperwork? The guy probably goes home at night and goes, eh, crap, Alex Jones came to the friggin' airport today. He probably goes home and rants to his wife for an hour. Alex Jones came to the damn airport today. And I had to, I had to detain him for a while, and I had to ask him questions. I didn't want to do it, but eh, if I don't, then my boss is all up my ass about it. Eh. Yeah, I had to put on a glove, and I had to put my hand up Alex Jones' colon to see if he had explosives in there because that's the standard procedure. And I didn't want to. All the dude had to do was take his damage. Why can't he just take his shoes off? So I'm not even totally disagreeing with his point, but. Uh, Again, I don't even know how much of this is true. It's written on his site. It's on Infowars.com if you want to see all of that. And um, I don't know. Alex Jones has certainly, well, he's told some things before that are less than completely accurate. Let's just put it that way. And I don't know how true this is. Maybe somebody can verify that this happened. 
I would like to know. I'd like to have video of it because Alex Jones is one of these dudes. He will go off. He gets in people's faces and like he's always yelling about stuff. Probably why his voice does sound like that. Well, you're going to detain me because I have a right. He's a pisser. I'll tell you that much right now. All right. Here's something that might make the Alex Jones show. It certainly makes my show because this is an example of government stupidity at its finest. We've been talking about uh, insurance companies and Superstorm Sandy and how they've been lowballing people. Well, it's not just insurance companies. It's also our own federal government that is jipping people in the aftermath of the Superstorm. Now, again, this is two months later, more than two months after the storm has hit. FEMA is finally getting around to writing some checks to people. And this is from Seaside Heights, New Jersey, where the damage from Superstorm Sandy was very hard to miss. Again, much like Staten Island, a lot of the homes were flooded by the tides, the heavy rains. A lot of the homes were damaged severely by the strong winds, those that weren't flooded. Certainly, the wreckage continues. Even now, they still haven't cleaned up all of the mess and the down trees and just the the buildings, the dilapidated buildings that are there now, the, the ruined um, homes and businesses of many people across New Jersey. So residents in single-family houses were finally granted certificates uh, of continued occupancy. They can now permanently stay in their houses. While many do plan to rebuild, others like Robin Ursinal said that they're done with Seaside. Her family's lived there for 13 years, but they're packing up and they've bought a house in Bayville. Quote, it doesn't feel like our home anymore, said Ursinal. It's over. We figured let's start fresh. Robin claims that dealing with FEMA has been a nightmare. She says that the agency has offered to give her a paltry $1,200 for damage that was estimated at more than $40,000. Quote, everything's ruined. You don't really want to keep anything. That's really hard to say, said Arsenal. It's horrible. Hardworking people have to fight for everything. Those in town hope that a sense of normalcy can uh, return soon. Mayor William Akers says that the borough's doing all it can to get Seaside Heights up and running in by the summer. Quote, we will be open for our visitors. We want you to make those reservations, said Mayor Akers. The borough hopes multifamily homes and bigger buildings like motels will be ready next. The mayor also said that reconstruction of the boardwalk is scheduled to be complete by May 10th. This is quite typical of FEMA. Everybody talked about President Bush and his bad response after Hurricane Katrina, but I can't emphasize enough the fact that this has been the most underreported aspect of the aftermath of Superstorm Sandy. People are getting lowballed by insurance companies. People are getting lowballed by the federal government. These are people that are already, we're already in an economic straits, okay? We're already in bad economic times. Certainly, Barack Obama pledged that he was going to help people, and the federal government pledged to help people, and certainly there was a, a lot of talk about all of the aftermath of Katrina. Well, this wasn't going to be another Katrina, but that's exactly what it is. Sure, there aren't as many people that were killed. There aren't as many people that were injured by this storm, but the damage was severe, especially in New Jersey, Staten Island, parts of the New York metro area and uh, Delaware and, and, you know, those places in the direct path. And these people have seen very little compensation. It seems that our federal government is more concerned about um, the fiscal cliff and raising taxes 
rather than they are about helping people right in the here and now. And I'm very curious why we haven't heard from anybody inside the federal government about this issue, whether it's the Department of the Interior, whether it's the president himself, whether it's a governor of a state. Once again, Chris Christie, where is he in all of this? Where's Governor Chris Christie? We heard a lot from him right in the aftermath and and right around the election. We haven't heard anything from him since either. This is our government at work. They're like, well, we'll take care of it. We've got it all under control. FEMA's stepping in and they're offering up people 1,200 bucks. 1,200 bucks for $40,000 worth of damage. And I know the government is not supposed to be your insurance agent. And I have said for many years that people that build homes in known disaster areas or in known high risk areas. For example, if you build a big house in the middle of the forest and then a forest fire comes along. okay, maybe maybe you should get a stipend one time. But then if you rebuild there and another forest fire comes along and destroys your property. Well, I mean, at what point does it become your fault? I get that. However, it's not like hurricanes happen and these kinds of superstorms happen in New Jersey or New York all the time. This is something that was somewhat unforeseen. This was a major storm. Natural disasters do happen and people need to be compensated for it. I do not understand why it is that, and if you're going to compensate people to give them 1200 bucks, I mean, that doesn't even cover food costs. That doesn't even cover basic repairs. That, that would fix what, that might buy you some paint. That might buy you some paint and uh, maybe a screen for one of the doors or maybe a brand new door. That's about it. 1200 bucks doesn't buy you very much, especially in New Jersey, especially when you're talking about uh, a damage that's 35 times that much. Get real. So uh, I, again, I call on the president. I call on somebody within our federal government or even the state government in New Jersey and New York to come in and uh, really start taking a look at this. And these, this is the kind of stuff that you really need to be thinking about when it comes down to election time. How do people handle everything in a crisis? Anybody can be a good president when the sun is shining. Anybody can be a good elected official when there really aren't that many problems to deal with. But when things turn bad, the sign of, a, of good leadership is how they handle the situation when everything turns bad. Yeah, I don't think the government uh, should step in and give people hundreds of thousands of dollars necessarily. But 1200 bucks, Really? Then why have FEMA? Why have the Federal Emergency Management Agency? I know, I know that they come in there and they have all these people uh, that they put in place to make sure that rioting or looting doesn't go on. But then after that, what do they do? Well, they get up, they, they take all those FEMA trucks. Yeah, I know they hand out water and they hand out some basic um, necessities to people. But then once the couple weeks that follow the storm has passed and it comes down to writing checks and actually helping people in the long term, they really don't do much. So that makes you wonder, why do we pay our taxes into FEMA? Where does all that money go? Where do all those billions of dollars that we pay into FEMA, where does all that money go to? If people aren't getting compensated, it's the same thing after that massive tornado outbreak that occurred across the central and southern part of the U.S. last year. And people got screwed on FEMA there. There are some people that never got a dime from FEMA. At least this lady's getting 1200 bucks. Imagine the people that um, 
Imagine those people that got their houses completely torn apart or their trailers or whatever in, in Alabama and Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas and all that last year with those with that tornado outbreak. They got nothing. And yet we pay billions of dollars into this. Makes you wonder where all that money is going. I don't want to sound too Alex Jones here, but where the hell is all the money going that we put into FEMA if they're not paying it out? Definitely is one of those weird, puzzling circumstances. I don't know. All right, I've got to take a break. And I've been teasing this story for a couple of shows now, so I need to get to this. A story about a kid that gets suspended from school for a reason that, well, many of us have done this exact same thing. It is the most bizarre story of school bureaucracy, of political correctness, of red tape, of all the nonsense. One of the dumbest reasons I've heard to suspend a kid, probably the dumbest since a kid got thrown out, uh, permanently expelled for bringing Tylenol to school. You remember that story? Oh, my God. Uh, it's a public schools update, the, the likes of which you'll never probably hear again. Actually, you probably will because that's the nature of our politically correct society and the wackiness that is. That and more as well. The stupid news file continues and other stuff as well. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. The Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com This is what happens when you let computers determine the national championship game. Too many shadows, whispering voices. At least with the playoff system, yeah, the computers are still putting it together, but at least there's some chance that the best team or the semblance of the best team could be found on the field. You're going to tell me that Oregon State would not have made for a better matchup for Alabama than Notre Dame? Notre Dame just got absolutely trounced the final 42-14. to By the time you hear this won't really matter, but still 42 to 4. I mean, come on. Oregon, Oregon threw up like 60 points on everybody that they played except for Kansas State, but who cares? Oh, and Stanford. Yeah, they, they did lose to Stanford, but this is why I don't like college football, as many of you know. I've laid it out already, but if you're going to have a national championship game, if you're going to have computers determine who the best teams are, well, the whole thing is just ridiculous. College basketball, every other sport, 
college or pro gets it. Every other sport has some semblance of a playoff system, whether it's uh, even the NCAA tournament has their their playoff system. And I know that people rag on the tournament, but yet the tournament is incredibly popular. The bowl system is not incredibly popular outside of alums of those schools. Do you think anybody really wants to see um, Northwestern or or what was what were some of those uh, bowl games that were going on earlier this year? Do you think anybody cares who Wisconsin plays? Do you think anybody outside of, of the University of Wisconsin cares about Wisconsin football? No, they don't. Now, the NFL is completely different. There are fans all over the country of the Green Bay Packers or the Seattle Seahawks or the Pittsburgh Steelers, yet nobody cares outside of those areas. That's why college football just needs such a revamp. Even this playoff system that they're going to introduce is not perfect, but it's better than what they had. Can't believe I actually sat there and paid any attention to this game whatsoever. Shame on me. All right, it is the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Mike at KMGX.com, our email address. Michael Groff on Twitter. Groff Show on Google Talk. MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. This is a strange story. I talked about this last week. I didn't get to it. And I know I really need to, uh, <laughs> need to address these stories a little bit faster sometimes. But this is just completely outrageous. Um, a kid at, I think this is Roscoe R. Nix Elementary School, was suspended. A six-year-old student was suspended after he pointed his finger at another student in a gun-like gesture, as they call it, and said, bang. That's it. He got suspended for doing that. This is the problem with political correctness and with a reactionary society that is now freaking out about guns. They have zero tolerance policies about this and that. But he did what every single kid has ever done at school. You know, they just walk around, bang. That's what I realize. I know right now some liberal person out there is going, see, this is the problem with the violent society that people have is that, you know, now children, they see these guns. When I was a kid, we did that. When my dad was a kid, they did. They played cops and robbers or we played whatever, you know, because of... I don't know, for whatever reason, because that's just what you did. Kids go around pretending that they're in space or that they have superpowers or that they have guns or whatever, and they walk around and they, you know, they have weapons or, or abilities or, you know, this is just part of the imagination. Well, that imagination is dangerous because what if he really brought a gun to school? And, I, and I, Every kid that I knew grow, growing up did stuff like this. Everybody. He pointed his finger at another student and said, bang, and they considered that a, a gun threat. This is the story. Uh, I think this is from, uh, yeah, this is from CNN. Here's, the, here's some audio on this story just for a little extra insight. He went like this. But would that gesture mimicking a gun by a six-year-old toward a fellow student be threatening enough to justify a suspension from school? Oh, yes. The family of a student at Roscoe Arnix Elementary in Silver Spring says that's exactly what happened to their son. Oh, very dangerous. It happened just days after the Connecticut school shootings. This is a meek, skinny child. On a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being most threatening, I'd give him a point two. In a letter, school officials described what happened as a serious incident where the boy threatened to shoot a student. Wow. Family attorney Robin Ficker says they are appealing the one-day suspension, calling it an overreaction. 
It's on his permanent record that he threatened to shoot a student. Five years from now, someone's going to look at that and think, this is a bad kid. He's been branded. He's been thrown under the bus. The school district doesn't talk about individual disciplinary decisions. However, a spokesman did tell us this was not a, quote, knee-jerk reaction to a single incident. Oh, no. Adding that particularly with younger students, there is a serious discussion with the student and parent about the problematic behavior. It's a six-year-old. He was playing around. By the way, just so we're clear, he didn't threaten to shoot. He didn't say, I'm going to shoot you. No, all he did, literally all he did, the, the kids are talking. He pointed his finger at this other student and said, bang. And that was the end of it. No threat. Nowadays, with everything going on, it's something very scary, you know, for our kids ourselves. But um, at, at the same time, um, I, I think that was a little too harsh for a six-year-old. I wouldn't expect someone to do that to my child. And if they did, I mean, I would expect, um, you know, some type of discipline. I know they feel they must do something, but I'm just saying six-year-olds, that's, that's a little bit much for a six-year-old. The boy's family wants his school record cleared and may ask for him to be sent to a different school. Unbelievable. You want to have a discussion with the child about appropriate behavior. I can understand it. All right. If you want to even run him through your battery of psychologists and go through a psychological profile. I think that's extreme, but whatever. It's a kid. Kids do this sort of thing. This is how kids play. It's just the way it is. But all right. I wouldn't let you do it to my kid, but, you know, okay, I'm there with you, at least to a point about having a discussion about appropriate behavior. Beyond that, a suspension is ridiculous. A kid that uh, he didn't even make a threat and I know some of you might say it's an implied threat. This is a six-year-old. A six-year-old. This is not somebody with a fully cognitive sense of awareness of absolutely everything. This kid probably doesn't know what went on in Connecticut. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. This kid is not aware of the ways of society. He is not completely up to date on all the uh, mores and faux pas of our society. This is just a six-year-old who has an innocent mind or who has a mind that is just like that of, I don't know, a child. I just think that common sense has completely evaporated from our public schools. It seems to be going away from society in general, but our public schools, common sense is completely out the window. Students are suspended for bringing a Tylenol. You have students that get suspended for giving each other a hug. Some kid saying something like, uh, I'm too sexy for my shirt, and he got suspended. We did that story. Remember that? That was maybe five, six years ago, something like that. Um, it is just crazy what is going on in our public school system. You know, now that I think about it, when I was in high school, we would have students that would be sitting outside, and they would be allowed to smoke in certain areas of the high school. This was in the 90s. This was, I was in high school from 92 to 96. So this was the early mid 90s and students were allowed to sit outside and smoke cigarettes. And they weren't all 18 year old students. They were 15, 16, 17 year old kids. All right. That's still a kid. That is a minor. So I'm thinking about it. I'm a parent, right? And I send my student off to get educated. And I am presuming that they're in the good, capable, caring hands of the public school system, of which I pay taxes, you know, to fund. 
and they're allowing my child to smoke on the premises. They're allowing my child to take carcinogens and inhale them into their body. But pointing your finger at another student and saying, bang, well, that is a suspendable offense. Killing yourself, however, on school grounds is perfectly acceptable. That's all right. It was actually encouraged. You were allowed to do as long as you did it outside and in this specific area, you were allowed to smoke at my high school. But God forbid if you should do something that could be possibly considered a threat, especially when you consider it's a six-year-old. A six-year-old. This is the madness of our public schools. This is, I got to tell you, if I if if I have a child and I could somehow scrape the money together, I would send them to a private school in an instant. I used to believe in our public schools wholeheartedly. And to some degree, I still, our charter schools, many of our charter schools are still okay because they're not run in the same bureaucratic fashion as district schools. Charter schools are independent schools. They do not have a specific district that they fall under and therefore they don't have nearly the bureaucracy. Nevertheless, our public school system needs a very large overhaul and we need to get the political correctness and the garbage and the nonsense out of it. And this is just a fine example of that. You hug another student, that's a suspension. You know, you, you sing a song that might have slightly inappropriate lyrics, that's a suspension. But oh no, if you, um, if you smoke a cigarette, it's okay. Point your finger at another student and say, bang, that's suspended. I, I'm writing all this down. I'm, I'm taking uh, notes on this so that I know... When I do have children someday and I send them off to school, I'm going to have to give them the laundry list. Okay, now, just so you know, uh, Johnny, uh, before you go off to school, um, you're not allowed to... Uh, I would never name my kid Johnny. My, my best friend is Johnny, but I would never name my own kid Johnny. Anyway, uh, before you go off to school, um, you are, uh, you're not allowed to... You're not, don't sing any songs because they could be controversial. What's controversial mean? Doesn't matter. Just don't sing any songs, okay? Just... Um, and, and, and don't, don't point your finger and, and play guns with anybody else. Don't, don't, don't have any pretend at all with another student and God forbid, don't ever touch another student. What if they need help? Don't touch, don't touch. No, no, no. Never, ever touch another human being. You're just not allowed to touch anybody ever, period. You know what? Uh, when you go to school, unless the teacher talks to you specifically, don't talk to anybody or have any interaction. Don't do anything with another student. Just um, just go there and, and face forward and look nice. And that's it. The end. And do your work. And do whatever the, whatever the teacher tells you to do, unless it's naughty no-no, because, you know, it's our public schools and you know, there's a lot of that going on. But unless it's uh, something... Otherwise, um, just do whatever the teacher says and that's it. Don't do anything else. Like the list of things that uh, you can and can't or should and shouldn't do in our schools is just outrageous. You should see the student handbooks that are put out these days. Even when I went to school, the, the student handbook was, was getting very thick. Uh, certain types of language will not be tolerated. Political statements are not permitted. Okay. I got to dig up my old high school... Um, school handbook and I want to compare it to one that's out today and just see how much thicker it is how many more rules and regulations and stipulations there are in there I guarantee you it's it's even thicker and just filled with more nonsense uh, I think it's time to get out of here <laughs> what are you gonna do I mean this is just madness 
Oh, I, I guess I should mention this. Uh, why not? I mean, we're already on a roll, so let's just continue. While I was doing prep for the show, I ran across this story about Malcolm J. Brenner. I think we may have talked about him on the show some time ago. I, I'm not entirely sure. But he is an author who wrote a book called Wet Goodness. It's an autobiography, and it is describing a young man's love affair with a dolphin. This is a guy who, many years ago, went into a abandoned, a near-abandoned Florida amusement park, and his intentions were to make love to a dolphin that he had been photographing for months. This guy had been like stalking this dolphin, photographing it, fantasizing about it. Then he went in and he made love to a dolphin. Anyway, um, I don't know how I got to reading this, but then of course I got fascinated because it's, you know, he talks about how he, this uh, Malcolm Brenner can't seem to um, find relationships, can't seem to get jobs, says that, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of employers now with Google search, they look this guy up and they're like, "Ooh, you know, thanks, but no thanks." <laughs> when I read this, I went, "Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why employers would be a little bit nervous about hiring a guy that that wrote a book about having sex with a dolphin." By the way, a dolphin was not the only animal that he had sex with. He, he also made it with uh, other animals, including dogs. Cats, I believe snakes. So this dude has gotten it on with all sorts of people. He um, he studied, um, he believed his family as he was raised was uh, under the tutelage of a psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, who was an Austrian psych, a psychoanalyst who believed in, um, I don't know, some mumbo jumbo about orgasms and, and being one with your orgasm. I'm serious. Uh, he believed, uh, he, he wanted the, uh, he, he, let's see, according to this, the Austrian psychoanalysts believe in preventing the armoring of children from birth through a process called vegetotherapy, which looked to establish a patient's orgasm reflex and orgastic potency, which Reich described as, quote, the ability to totally surrender to the involuntary contractions of the orgasm and the complete discharge of the excitation at the acme of the genital embrace. Of course, many of Reich's patients, this psycho fraud, many of them, of course, reported that they were sexually assaulted. Gee, I'm, I'm really surprised. It's always great when you can come up with some BS pseudoscience where you can sort of work it into a way to explain or even justify either sexually assaulting people, animals, or otherwise weird, abhorrent behavior. I'm pretty open-minded. I like to think of myself as a very open-minded guy, sexually and otherwise. Um, I'm totally cool with gay marriage and, and sex clubs and lesbianism and, and whatever you're into, okay? And, and experimentation, if that's your thing. 
And if you want to, if you think that uh, if you're a, if you were born a guy, but you think you're a woman inside and you want to have a surgery, you want to have a operation and, and go through all that, that's cool. I'm fine with that. All right. I mean, that's, that's your thing. That's your thing. But if you're going to talk to me about, oh, I'm having trouble finding a job. Um, I don't know why I can't stay in a relationship. I, I don't understand why I'm ostracized from society when you write a book about having sex with animals or a dolphin specifically. You have a book called Wet Goodness. I don't know if I can totally sympathize with you. I don't know. The, the line's got to be drawn. And I think that's that's about where the that's about where the line gets drawn is the creepometer is pegged into the red. I don't know. This third segment was probably not a very good idea. <laughs> now that I look back at it, yeah, you've got the outrage of the... I, I really wanted to bring you that story about the school suspending the kid for uh, pointing his finger and saying bang. But, you know, I, I think I probably should have stopped there. This is one of those things I, I saw it and I said, you know, I'm going to bring that to the podcast. I'm going to talk about it because I thought it was weird. I thought the listeners might appreciate it. Now that I'm sitting here, I'm... But I am... I, I do have a thought like... Um, how does that work exactly? Like the, mechanically, how does one have sex with a dolphin? I'm not going to look it up. I don't want to know. I, 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 but I want to know. I mean, I don't want to see it. What does the dolphin get out of it? You know, it's funny. Is I'm sure there's a fetish site for stuff like this someplace. I know it's illegal. I do know that. Well, at least in some states. There are some states that bestiality is not technically a crime. They, they just charge you with other crimes, like lesser crimes, like uh, cruelty to animals. But then there's always a lawyer that comes forward and says, well, how do you know it's cruel? How do you know the animal didn't like it? Sadly, I wish I were making that up, but I'm not. So yeah, when I was mapping out the show, when I was coming up with the show prep today, and I come, come along to the third segment. I go, well, you know, I do want to talk about this this kid. I don't know. What else? Uh, well, you know, I did see that dolphin story. I did see that uh, Malcolm Brenner. And I figured that might be a good story to talk about. Right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know, it's too late to go back and delete. I'm just going to leave this in. If you don't like it, you don't like it. I don't know. Not every day can be a home run here on the program. People that ask for more shows are probably going to sit there now and go, you know, if he just does a podcast like once a week, I think that would be okay. Then we won't get sex with dolphin stories. <laughs> you know, my, my mother listens to this podcast sometimes. I doubt she'll ever get to this story, though. I hope not. You know, I listened to your show And that dolphin, that was just horrible I don't know why you would ever talk about that on your program That's awful now, don't you know? Oh, for Pete's sake Terrible I was offended Actually, my I will say this The few times my mother has ever listened to my podcast She's never been offended by anything I've said which is funny because she would she should be the first person to be offended by some of the things I say or do. Oh, well, that's it. Uh, we're out of here. We'll see you next time. Uh, Mike at KMGX.com, our contact information. Mike at KMGX.com, email. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. 
Groff Show on Google Talk, Michael Groff the handle on Twitter, and for everything else Michael Groff related, including leaving your feedback on this or any other podcast. Oh, I, I can't wait to see the feedback on this one. You can always uh, sign up, get uh, on our mailing list, so every time a brand new podcast is posted, you will see the notification. Just be sure to whitelist our site. And of course, donate. You can donate to us. All of that can be done at the one and only michaelgroff.com. We'll see you tomorrow, I think, for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Good night, everybody.